You know the thing about a shark? He's got lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eye. That's a 20-footer. 25. Three tons on him. You're gonna need a bigger boat. What's up, you creepy fucks? It's your boy, BP, and welcome to the newest episode of Let's Talk Horror. Oh, you know, thanks for joining in. You're back. Don't leave because we're going to have some fucking fun on this one. Why are we going to have fun? Because we are talking about an iconic film, for once a film that was made before I was born. So that, that tells how long ago it was. The first summer blockbuster the absolute iconic Jaws. That's what we're going to be talking about on this episode. I can't wait to get into it because also I have my first ever returning guest. So I've got Chris with me who was on me with for the episode, if you listened, about all about the Lost Boys. If you love that film, make sure that you go and listen to it because we had a right laugh recording that one. And he's back. He, he likes me enough to come back and record <laughs> uh, this episode all about, I know that it's his favorite film of all time so chris welcome back thank you just uh, just when i thought it was safe to go back in the <laughs> let's talk horror podcast <laughs> it's never safe it's never safe <laughs> because uh you know something's bound to go wrong um but yeah thank you so much for coming back um you know as you all know we, we so you know we really loved the lost boys episode we did we absolutely enjoyed it and um, I'm, I'm happy we did it. And I'm happy that you're returning for, for, as I said, a film that you absolutely love. I am extremely happy to be back because I love the show, but also Jaws is my favorite movie. So exactly. I'm and ready. do you know what? It's, it's so mad that in my lifetime, and I find it so interesting. I should have saved this to the end, but too late. I've done it now. But um, I, <laughs> I love um, the, the fact that over my lifetime, Jaws is the film that people have told me most that it's their favorite film. You know, one of the things I love doing is asking people what their favorite film is. And Jaws is the one that comes up all the time for people. And, and it, it, you know, it's obviously understandably why, which we will get into. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear that all the time too. And it's funny, man. I think for me, at least it was a relief when I realized, cause when I get in that conversation, it's sometimes very difficult to parse out what your favorite movie is. And I'm, I've never been very good at that. And when it sunk in that like, oh wait, Jaws kind of sums it all up. Yeah. And it's also, it's back there. It's sort of the beginning of the summer blockbuster. It's, it's the beginning of the train I'm on. And so I feel like it's very easy in that conversation. It's like, if you're a super religious Christian person, it's very easy for you to say your favorite book is the Bible. You know, <laughs> I feel like that's when I say my favorite movie is Jaws. It's that simple, like, okay, yeah. done. I get it, you know? Yeah, that's it. This person knows what he's talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's it. Um, but exactly. But Chris um, is the creator of the absolutely amazing uh, Dead Meat Pete, who, which, which I love. You all know I love. I post about it. I talk about it. And you all need to listen to it. And I'm sure you already are. Which, But we'll obviously speak about a little bit more in depth about Dead Me Pete a little bit later on. Um, but also he's a man of many talents. So, so he can basically, uh, you know, plug himself and sell himself away later on. Um, 
I pl I plugged myself a lot this morning. I might, I might be a little tired and sore from plugging myself. So that's I don't it. Know. That's it. But I'm, I'm sure you do a good job. I'm sure you do. Jim. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, as I say, let, let, let your talent speak for itself. You know what I mean? Um, Thank you. Yeah. That's, 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 um, that tends to be my policy, but yeah, that's it, doesn't it. Get, it doesn't get you very far. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem sometimes um right so let's get into it so as, as you know already we're talking about jaws so jaws re was released in 1978 long fucking time ago it's directed by the legendary steven 75 did i what did i say 78 you're thinking about close encounters or no yeah i don't know i've literally got i'm literally what literally sitting here and i've got 1975 written down so why i said 1978 i don't even know uh, uh, sorry, it is 1975. You're correct. Um, I was just, it was just a test. It was, it was just a test. Yes, you were testing. I was testing you. Yeah. I was just testing you. You're you. such, you're such a fan of the band 1975 that yeah. you won't <laughs> say it if it's not about the band. Something like that. <laughs> but it's directed by the legendary Steven Spielberg, starring. I oh, also, uh, you know, as you know, Chris and all my viewers know, I can't pronounce people's names because I'm a little common Englishman who can't, <laughs> I just can't do it. So you can correct me away, Chris. Uh, but we've got Roy Scheider. Uh, yep. Yeah, is that right? As yeah. Chief Martin Brody, Robert mm -hmm. Shaw as Quint. Richard Dreyfus as Matt Hooper, Lorraine Gary as Ellen Brody, uh, Murray Hamilton as Mayor, Mayor Laurie Vaughan, Jeffrey Kramer as Deputy Hendricks, and obviously there's a fucking shitload more people in this movie. Um, Bruce what, the Shark. Yeah, Bruce the Shark, and that's it. Um, <laughs> I, think you, I think you nailed all of those. I think uh, I say Dreyfus. I think there's a Dreyfus-Dreyfus uh, yeah, argument there probably uh, ongoing. Is. No matter what country you're from, there's a Dreyfus Dreyfus argument. I think. And you know what? I bet you he fucking started it. He seems like the type. He does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so the what film, a hype man. Yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm going to fucking keep relevant. Um, so, <laughs> so the film sits at eight point one uh, out of ten on IMDb, which you know, which is a sign on IMDb saying this film's fucking brilliant. You need to watch it. Uh, and it's at a whopping 97% still on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so, you know, if that doesn't tell you that you need to see this film, if you haven't, uh, then you fucking should. Google synopsis time. So I love adding these in because they're mostly always shit. Before I get into my more in-depth, detailed conversation about the film. So Google, in regards to Jaws, this is what it gives you. A police chief a marine scientist and a fisherman spring into action after a white shark terrorizes the inhabitants of Amity, a quiet island. It's not even a great white shark. It's a white it's shark. It's a white shark. It's, it, I literally, I had to double check that that was right. But yeah, after a white <laughs> shark terrorizes the inhabitants of Amity and a, a quiet island. So uh, that's what you get from Google. Yeah, that's that, that one, you know, you've read some pretty off base ones before that one's not that bad it's not too bad it's short and sweet you know uh it, either either some guy was in the office and was like that's all you're getting or the computer you know wrote it and was like that's that's all that's all i can do yeah yeah um, that, that one's not the worst though it's, no it's, it could be worse oh, yeah. it could be worse i mean it's definitely yeah. not uh you know predator one uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. or the or lost boys sounded like this like family fun yeah, that's it. Yeah, it did. It made it sound like more Drama. like the Goonies than it actually is. Yeah. Um, but now, obviously, I get into my synopsis 
for the film, which is a more detailed version of, of the events of every sort of scene or major scene that happens in the film. So the film opens with one of the most horrific or horrorific, that's bad, um, scenes in the movie. <laughs> all, all the beach kids are having fun, smoking weed, drinking and just having the best time. Two of them head off for a cheeky little bit of naked fun, but Chrissy goes and gets herself eaten by a shark. This is a real vicious opening to the film and really sets it up to be a really different type of film that one that we know that it is. And it is, it's sort of like it's a, for me, this opening is, it feels different to the rest of the film because it's so vicious and so sort of dark and the way that it's shot, it feels more like a horror. Yeah, well, I mean, Quint's death is pretty vicious too. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty bad, isn't it? But that's later on. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty dark opening. Um, and I don't know if this is true, but I've I, I read somewhere or heard that the actress didn't know when it was happening, which is why right. that she gives off this proper scream and, and mm -hmm. this shock and stuff, because she didn't know the exact time that she was going to get pulled under and essentially, you know, eaten by by Brucey. Yeah, man. And that God, you know, I don't know, for some reason, it's you saying the words pulled under that like, reminds me i don't know i'm thinking about it being 1975 and watching that and ah oh man you had never seen anything like that well and exactly that, yeah such a the the thing about jaws what a great sorry i gotta pause here to talk about what a great uh you know any great movie uh very early on gives you a promise of yeah. what you're about to see yeah and if you're gonna if he doesn't have the time to make anything else if they gave him the budget to shoot five minutes that's the five minutes you would need to shoot. Yeah. You know, because it's like that is, it gets at everything. You know, yeah. there's a shark, you see that fin. There's the like, many people praise Jaws for it's using like fundamental human fears. Yeah. And it's got it all in that way. And that scene really sums it up because not only is there the insanity of a great, giant, great white shark, which is as close to, you know, fantasy creatures you're going to get on this planet that's actually out there. Um, and then there's just the basic human fundamental fear of, of drowning and what water can do in the ocean. And God, this little pastiche just sums all that up. Yeah, it does. And that's what's mad. Yeah. Like, as soon as you get this opening, like, you feel like you're absolutely fucked watching this. Um, yeah, like, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel the worst things. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, but after that, we meet Brody, uh, the Brody family, one being the chief who is at the beach now, finding what's left of Little Miss Naked, and now she's got cramps. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I had to chuck that in there, sorry. Um, so, 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 so now Brody wants to shut, down, uh, sh shut the beach down. He knows what the shit is going on, but the mayor has other plans. It's summer and he wants to make proper bank. Welcome to Amity, Chief. And I mean, that's basically it. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, 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 the maze having none of it. He's just like, you're not shutting down my beach, even though it's probably a big fucking shark going around. God. Yeah. What a dick. Sorry. Yeah, I know. What um, an asshole. What an asshole. Yeah, that's it. I mean, every film's got to have a villain, right? Even if it's yeah. not the shark. Um, everything's, everything's got an asshole, even films. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we are back at the beach, whereas the viewer, I'm constantly shitting myself, my shit in my pants, because you know <laughs> something is going to happen, but what? This is why the mm. film is so expertly crafted and wastes no time in letting you know that you're in for a wild time. Yeah. And, and this is also the first time 
uh, we hear one of the most iconic pieces of music ever made. The Jaws theme is a masterpiece in suspense building, in cinema, and unfortunately, you know that when you hear it, that there's going to be some bad shit going down. <laughs> yeah, I know. God. And it's, it's fucking, I mean, so I... Again, yeah, if you yeah, did, no matter on. what, if you've never seen the movie, you know that. You know, yeah. if you if this 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 wasn't written for this movie, and you just heard it elsewhere. You'd be like, oh, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's iconic. And what I love about it. So Jaws is my daughter's favorite film. She loves Jaws. But one of my sort of proudest moments was when she turned around to me uh, when you've got sort of we get into it, actually. But there's like the shark attack that may or may not be him, you know, Brucey. And uh, she literally turned around to me straight away. and went, that's not that's not Jaws. And I was like, what do you uh, mean? And she's like, no, it's not yours. And I'm like, why? And obviously I know. And she's like, because the music's not playing. And uh, I'm God, like, she got it. Wow, yeah, she yeah. got it. And I was just like, you're amazing because that and it made me such a proud parent but oh, also awesome. but she loves jaws and but she you know she got it and that's how iconic obviously you know that piece of music is is because every time you hear it you associate it with the shark and everything and, yeah, and in they, the film train you. yeah and as soon as you hear that in the film you're like right someone or everyone is fucked yeah um, if we can if we can i realize after having this conversation with you, the first time I've ever considered that it literally is musically coming for you. Like yes. it's, it plays the, like uh, that low E or whatever the actual note is. And then it goes up, you know, one half step. So it's like, uh, like I'm yeah. here now I'm here. Yeah. That's and it. I'm back. I'm back. I'm back. Maybe and at I'm the back. end it's like, you fucked. And then, and then, <laughs> now I'm coming at you. <laughs> I'll get like, you motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cause it, it, it tells you the first time, like I'm here now I'm here. And then you hear it again, and it's like, I'm back where I was, but now I'm here. And then it's like, it's like now I'm here, now I'm here. <laughs> and, God, and, yeah, and, and, and that's it. And then my daughter figured it out, and I was like, you, you know, that's why I love you. Yeah, good job. Good parenting. <laughs> yeah, Solid <it>. parenting. <laughs> Should write a book. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, the worst book ever, apparently. Um, so, so now we're at yeah. the town meeting and we finally meet the legendary fisherman, Quint, who is nice. damn sure, <laughs> but he's damn sure of himself that he can catch this thing. But at this point, he's still not being taken seriously, even though two have died already. Who's going to be next? So some old timers are on the dock chilling, but not until Jaws is He's a double R bastard who rips apart the dock and heads back for some munchies, but not this time as he just gets away. Um, And that's another thing. It's sort of like that fear inducing that it's already showing you sort of the the veracity and the strength of of this, you know, because at this point you don't see sort of how big it is, um, but you know, it's fucking massive to, to do all that shit. So now we are introduced to a young Dreyfus, or Dreyfus, however he wants it pronounced, as a smart-ass fish boy, Hooper, who knows bloody loads about mm. sharks. Uh, he wants to see the body, but definitely regrets it after almost seeing his breakfast again. And he's super sure it's a big, bad shark. They catch it, and that's uh, the well, end. Hold on, I want to point this out. Like, I, yeah. I realise, like, I don't know if people watching Jaws now... And now I was not around in 1975. I, you and me are like the same age. Uh, yeah. But I think I'd have to ask an older person if this is, feels accurate or not. But I get the feeling that in 1975, Matt Hooper was shown as like a hipster. I think. Yeah. Were, yeah. Like, he's he, like the hipster. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, cool. I think you're like supposed to be a little bit like not taking him seriously until he gives you a reason to. Because I think he's a bit of a like, I mean, he is. He's like a joke to all those people on that island. Those are all like working class 
you know, fishing people. And um, he's from the Oceanography Institute and his, you know, he's got this sort of like pretentious uh, up upscale upbringing, upbringing or whatever. And yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely think you're supposed to see him as like a hipster, annoying person at first. Yeah, like, like at the time, uh, you're right, like in 75, was he, you know, the, the character he's he's in he's portraying in the film is that a type of person back from 1975 that is like the 1975 version of a modern day hipster right yeah if they yeah. If, if, if you're making draws now that character has whatever he would know, just ridiculous. look the same but with a pipe yeah yeah exactly bingo <laughs> he might actually just work right now the way he is but yeah i think if you were if you were a bad writer he would have like a man bun and yeah a, yeah you know, exactly know, exactly mustache and stuff so, so then they go and catch the shark, and then that's the end of the movie. Oh, hang on, no, you didn't think it was going to be that easy because it's not the fucking shark. Um, you know, we know that that's not Bruce because otherwise it'd be the shortest film ever made. It's a tiger shark. Yeah, it's a tiger shark. That's it. A what? Yeah, that that's it. That guy's so funny. I, have, I don't know that uh, – I've seen Jaws in theaters a lot, but I don't know I've ever watched it at home and gotten to the uh, a tiger shark – a what a what and not, and not like died laughing and got up and paused it and made everyone <laughs> i was watching it with watch that at least two like rewatch it yeah a what <laughs> that guy kills me <laughs> so so after a bit of uh family time hooper comes over for dinner and we learn a little bit more about his love for the badasses of the sea and he's still convinced and trying to convince chief that they didn't get the right shark so they go and cut that thing like a fish and guess what hooper was 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 right the smug it and after chief brody's dislike they head out into the night in search for brucey where we get to get a scene that no matter who you are and how tough you are you always shit yourself every time mm -hmm. even though you know what it is what was going to happen uh, when a little manky head pops out of the boat and he's definitely dead um you know i don't know i can never figure out when it's going to happen no matter how many times i've seen this film like this film is one of my most watched films of all time and no matter what for some reason it gets me every single fucking time oh yeah it's so perfectly done it's just it's just this pitch perfect like and the music and everything yeah it's just it's just it's just amazing it's just uh i mean i do, do you know what i'm saying nothing because i've got that to come later on so i nearly let loose on like facts and shit then so i'm gonna ignore I that i nearly yeah, we did might, it. we might have the same fact but yeah, yeah that's we'll, it we'll that's wait it on that. <laughs> so now angrier than ever they want the beach closed but the mayor is still a dick and he cares more about some graffiti than a shark eating people willy-nilly um, so the beach is still open and people are on high alert. Well, apart from all the fucking idiots in the water. And, and after some little shits play a prank with a fake shark fin, the real Brucey is here, who eats up some bloke who was in a stupid little boat. And I have to stop there, actually. Did that fucking boat he's in is ridiculous. Like, he looks like a kid's boat. I don't know if that's like dingy. a normal thing. Yeah, like a little that. dingy. Yeah, it's so fucking weird. It's like, just like a little sailboat, right? Yeah, I don't even know what it is. I remember watching it the other day when I and I was just like one how did that pass me by like all these years and like he looks fucking stupid in that um it's like a little kid's boat and he's just like come here um but, but yeah it's fucking weird but anyway um but yeah he's uh Brucey comes back um some of the kids uh what was it oh yeah some of the kids are there as well uh one of them being Chief Brody's kid 
you know, talk about some lifelong trauma that may come back later on in the series. So the mayor has gone absolutely doolally and he still doesn't know what to do, but finally comes to his senses and signs the contract so they can get the fisherman, fisherman, uh, fisherman Quint, sorry, to go out after that son of a bitch shark. And get the head, the tail and the whole damn thing. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'll get the head. I'm not even going to do that. I sound more like the guy from the A-Team. Talking to the A-Team, <laughs> the A-Team are now ready to head out on the orca. But nice. not before Quint is making Hooper feel super awkward by serenading him with a lovely fisherman tune. But after that, they are off on a shark adventure for the ages. Oh, after God, that shot through the jaws in yeah. the window. Uh, it's like one of my, that might be my favorite shot in the history of movies. It's just, oh, there's so much. I mean, uh, there's so much to talk about when we get to, to get to at the end. Yeah, I just I just get so I just love watching this film. It's fucking oh, yeah. amazing. Um, after Brody nearly blows shit up, the clumsy little bugger, he's <laughs> Quint is rudely interrupted eating his cheese crackers by a potential catch <laughs> on the line. Is it Bruce? Either way, it doesn't matter because it got away. Not long after this, we get a better look at the shark and we get another classic line. You're going to need a bigger boat. Nice. And now it's it's go time as Bruce is coming full throttle after these guys. And he's a big boy, too. They attach a barrel to him, but that's no match with this shark. And he sods right off. It's now nightfall. And it seems as though they had a few brewskis and are bonding over <laughs> battle scars. Light hide at start, but then get serious quick as we learn a little more, little more about El Capitan Quint. But at least it ends on a sing song. Well, at least you think it was going to. But Bruce is back to fuck shit up and i like i like that little scene um because it's it's a character piece isn't it it's a character building piece uh where mm. you know you've got this sort of animosity between quinn and hooper it's always sort of there and then suddenly like there's that little bit where they're sort of like almost becoming friends and you like yeah. it yeah. um and then you just and then and that's fun and they're comparing all their scars and stuff like that but then also at the same time I, I, it sort of makes me feel a little bit more for Hooper because obviously, like like you were mentioning earlier, out of all the characters, you know, he's the one that even though like he's a fisherman, well, not fisherman, but even though he's the guy that knows all the shit, you don't know whether he's one of these people that hasn't seen anything, hasn't gone through anything. And he quite clearly has. Like there's more, uh, you know, tragedy to his story than, than you think. And that's what I really love about that film. You know, he's actually showing off real scars um, from from his adventures with the, with these things, so so I really like that bit. I think that I think that's really uh, an enjoyable scene in the film. You know their characters and 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 what it's building, but then it goes really fucking dark. Uh, right. Well, that I was gonna say that's like yeah to dip in real quick. That um, trope scene. There's no way Spielberg invented it. Uh, I'm sure it goes back to like John Ford or something, but uh, it's the pause before battle. And that is almost always, it's either a scene where the romantic couple finally sort of looks like they're going to get together and then they're interrupted by danger or the much more fun, interesting, gettable version of it is in Jaws where everyone's gathered because there's some downtime and then the battle erupts in front of them. Uh, but it, it, there's, those scenes almost always have storytelling in those scenes everyone yeah. stops to tell stories that when i was a kid this when that happened blah 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 i was in love with mary ellen moffitt 
uh, you know, he repeats the scene in uh, Saving Private Ryan. I'm sure he does it in a lot of movies. I think he's done it in Indiana Jones. Um, I love. It's one of my favorite things that can happen in adventure movies is that like pause before the storm, yeah. where everyone shares who they are to, with with each other. Before before not knowing whether they're before all the, gonna die. The shark hits the, <laughs> yeah, right before the shark hits the boat. Yeah. And typically that when that when you know you're in that scene when people are sitting around saying when I was a kid, we did this. And I remember the time that my dad took me, blah, blah, blah. That scene's going to get interrupted and you are in the home stretch. That's the last breath that gets drawn uh, from here on. We're in full tilt boogie towards the end. That's it. Before you're in the eye of the storm. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. I just, I, yeah, it's such a good, it's good. Uh, and you're right. It's just, it's such an interesting, brave um, part of filmmaking to, to sort of give you that within as you say but it builds up that tension builds up that suspense because one of the things that this film does is not really let you know when shit's going to happen um so yeah. while they're having this conversation you're sitting on the edge of your seat going at any point they could get eaten <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely i permission to rabbit hole very briefly here oh go on i'll, I'll keep it brief that's uh, so because I am I am very much a student of Spielberg and I'm a student of his tropes and cliches yeah. and stuff and that. That is one of my favorite th scenes that you can have in a story is that pause to be, to talk about who we are and, and, and everything before the battle starts. And my favorite example of that outside of Jaws is that in Harry Potter, uh, the in the Half-Blood Prince, uh, Ar Aragorn or, or Aragog dies and they have Aragog's funeral. It's this beautiful moment. And then he sits around and he hears the, the story of where the Horcruxes come from. And he hears about his mother. And uh, I apologize if you hate Harry Potter, but I just want to point out here that yeah, it's the, first, the first time in storytelling history, she has that scene there in the second to last book. It is the last time that Harry Potter is in a truly peaceful moment. Uh, the next beat is the shit hitting the fan and it doesn't truly stop hitting the fan until the end of the final book. So I love that she's got an over her giant saga. That's my favorite time that scenes ever happened because technically that is the final moment of peace and storytelling that that character gets in that saga through the whole a book and a half later. And anyways, I just want to point that out. You can edit this out if you want. No, I love that. No, it's fine. That's I, my I favorite mean... version of the Jaws scene. Yeah, it just means that everything, uh, you know, after that point is fucked. Yeah, and that's just my favorite one. So, yeah, I, I nice. can talk about it. So come morning, the ship has seen better days, for sure. And tensions are rising. And here comes Brucey back again. And at this point, he's just fucking with them. Because there's no barrels can compete with this absolutely hedge fish. Uh, you know, it's another, I just enjoy this storytelling, you know, you're along for the ride. And the funny thing is, is they're completely along for the ride as well. Jaws is fucking with him and he does what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. And I, the, the barrels are such a good idea. Yeah. It's just adding to that sort of thing where you're like, like this thing is massive and it, it you know, it can overpower them at any point and it's scary as fuck. And uh, it makes you feel that sort of sense of hopelessness that they obviously feel because they're like, what, what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. And it's the first, uh, you know, and in, in storytelling is or filmmaking film storytelling is all about uh, progress and setback, progress and setback. And like, I love that they always treat the barrels like it's their first win against right, yeah, Joss. Yeah. That's the first win they have against Bruce is the barrels. Um, it doesn't save them completely obviously but like that it's got that pirate theme there that's telling you like 
this isn't just an extension of the Finn, you know, like it's this is them having gotten slip on Bruce in some way. That's yeah, it's hundred percent makes sense. He's now doing what he wants with the ship. Maybe they did need a bigger boat because not not even three <laughs> barrels could stop this motherfucker. And Quint for once, <laughs> Quint's lost for words for once, and he's not singing or doing anything. This fish yeah. will not give up as the hunters have now become the hunted. With things going from worse to worse, ideas are running short. So now fish boy Hooper, or as we now discovered, hipster boy Hooper, is, <laughs> is, is going to try and drug the big boy from within the shark cage. But unsurprisingly, this plan goes to absolute shit as the cage ain't got nothing on Bruce, who's going full stealth and attacks from behind and makes Hooper drop the prod thing that he's using to try and sort of inject him and right. smash, yeah, whatever it is, and smashes the absolute crap out of the cage with Hooper fighting for his life. But he manages to swim away and hide while bruce is doing full-on death rolls um and i think I, I i could be wrong you'll probably know but i think i'm pretty sure that 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 scene there they're using real footage of a real great white shark like going absolutely mental on a cage oh yeah oh, yeah, yeah yeah. Um, that was yeah well well i'm gonna drop this here because it's definitely not one of my tidbits that footage is uh it's a tiny man like a jockey like a horse jockey man uh with the an actual shark i don't even think that's maybe it's a great white i'm not sure but uh right. yeah it's a tiny man in a tiny cage and <laughs> uh he if you've seen uh which if you haven't seen the shark is still working in the documentary please see it it's incredible it's in the it's on the blu-ray Blu release of jaws but uh yeah that it's a tiny little man and he really almost got his ass handed to him by no that way. shark yeah, he flipped out. Like the story of it's it's a little man. He like got out of the water. I don't think he spoke good English. And like he got out of the water and was just like freaking out. Like he almost got killed by that shark. Fuck. And I'm guessing they used him because to to sort of make the size of the shark obviously look bigger. Um, yeah, it was their one. I mean, I think it's well played. I, the idea was sound that like we'll we'll size the man in the cage down and get a real shark so that we have some footage of a real shark. And I think it's well played in that they don't use a ton of that footage. Yes. Because if yeah. they did, you would definitely be like, man, yeah. that is not the same shark. You know, no. like just enough of that footage. Um, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's the thing. I always, when I'm watching that, um, it's not like a weird scene or anything, but it's just like, you know, that that's a real shark, like the way it's moving, uh you know so so you know that somewhere they got that that footage um but feel sorry for that that guy that's in the cage i know yeah it's a sad little story i definitely recommend that documentary that clip's probably on youtube yeah probably just some guy fucking freaking out get, get me the fuck out of here <laughs> <laughs> you stupid motherfucker <laughs> so, this, so at this at this point chief brody and quinn they assume that hooper is dead and with the boat sinking, this big bloody shark tries to jump aboard and gets hold of Captain Quint in a super nasty and painful death. I guess he will sing no more. Um, I mean, they, so that's I, mean, this is, this is, I, I always sort of uh, sort of feel really sorry for him because that's a fucking nasty way to go. Like all the shit that this guy's been through. And yeah. um, that's how he goes out. Like he doesn't get to live. His, his long life that he's escaped so many different things but from. That's the beauty of but that. But then that's the beauty. Kill, isn't it? man. Yeah. Is that it was like, it's kind of a final destination thing. Yeah. Like, it really is. Like he survived the Indianapolis and where 
the him and his men were it's or Titanic or something. It's like, you know, even though I made it out of this event, it it programmed the rest of my life and I'm haunted by it. And in some way I know I sort of was eaten by a shark back in the forties, you know, and it's like in some, yeah. some poetic way I did get eaten with my friends. And I think that's what this state, it's one of my favorite things about Jaws is that when Bruce eats him, it is this big poetic circle of like, no, no, you did not get away. You, you were born to be eaten by a shark, whether it happens in world war two or it happens right now, this is what you are. Here I come. Yeah, I this, love that so this much. Is, this, this has always been your design. Yeah, you could have one little breeze of the wind this way or that, and you would have died uh, on the Indianapolis. But, you know, you're dying now either way. I, I love the poetry of that. Yeah, and I love, do you know what? I love how you how you think of things like this because uh, it always opens my eyes to something new. Um, That's awesome. But, yeah, it's, it's such a, you know, it's a dark scene. Like, like you were saying earlier, it's very like you know reminiscent to, to the the ferociousness of the first scene of the film because this this is sort of scene that cements it for me in sort of the horror universe you know uh where you're set getting something that's such it's such a nasty scene and such a horrible way that it's happening and it feels so real especially when you're a kid you know you genuinely sit there and think that you're watching some guy getting absolutely eaten the shit out of by a shark it's so violent and scary yeah. and robert shaw like goes he fucking full guy. Yeah, he goes in, it, dude he? yeah he tell that is someone getting eaten by a shark yeah you know like flat out that dude flexes it i mean he's flexing his acting muscles in that whole movie but he really gives it to you right there yeah and 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 i'm um, you know obviously you know we're so happy he did because it's another i mean the whole film is a standout isn't it but there's so many scenes in it where you're like fuck that's that's got you you know uh and you don't want him to die and you know it, you know and then also you know it's quite nice hearing him serenading all the blokes all the time isn't it right but yeah but it's quite, you know, it's just a, it's a sad scene. And then you start then thinking about, well, if he's gone, does that mean that any everyone else is going to go? You know, you don't. It starts. You start questioning how the rest of the film's going to go. Like, are we literally going to witness everyone die? Exactly. That's how that feels. Yeah. Um, so it's a that, little bit like that. I'm sorry, it's a little yeah, bit like the, the Game of Thrones thing right there, where you're like, if this guy's going to die, wait, you know, like these guys these other guys might die too you yeah, know like like this guy a, can die or, they... or more, more recently the stranger things yeah yeah um, exactly you yeah, know, yeah like yeah. I, I sit there and i'm like you fucking kill steve off and i'm never watching this shit again i know yeah <laughs> yeah spoiler alert yeah that's, yeah that's that's there's when you can get an audience in that space uh it's something you've got them and you know because it, it is and it ain't easy to do because how do no. you gamble away your, your beloved characters but you know Boy, it ups the, it's, I don't know, it's a fine line to tread because uh, it's very powerful to not know what's going to happen next. But if you lose emotional buy-in, then you're gone. So yeah, exactly. that's not an easy game to play. Um, so now Brucey, he's back and he's back for Brody, who's struggling to find a way to stay afloat on the destroyed orca that's fucking just, it's done. It, that boat is gone, it's sinking. And he has to climb the mast. Now we have the ultimate standoff. Jaws or Brucey, whatever you want to call him, is coming right <laughs> for him. So shoot the tank or get killed to absolute death. But guess what? <laughs> so guess what? Smile, you son of a bitch. And, yes. with his, <laughs> and with his last chance, 
Brody shoots the gas tank and blows the absolute shit out of Bruce. Fish blood and guts are flying everywhere and he goes down like a sunken ship, leaving only Brody alive. Psych, Hooper is back from the from beyond and now they have to paddle back to shore using the barrels and as we see them slowly but safely getting back to shore, the film ends. Jaws is dead, but will it ever really be safe to get back into the water? Hell no. Absolutely fucking not. And do you know what? <laughs> it's, it's, it, do you know what? So I, I used to go surfing all the time. And uh, and this is something that is so interesting about this film because it really did start so many, so many people's phobias of never getting back into the water. I, as I said, I used to surf all the time and there wasn't, a second that went by before I got in the water and while I was in the water that I wasn't convinced that I was going to get eaten by a massive fucking shark. Like, wow. it's, it's mental. And, um, and even like now, like even when I go down the beach, I'm genuinely convinced that out the corner of my eye, I'm just going to see some sort of like fin going around and stuff. Um, I, I love surfing and I love being in the water, but I'm so cautious of it still because of this film. And I know I'm not the only one. Um, yeah, man, it's it's one of those things because it's like, you know, uh, no one's uh, ever unequivocally proved uh, there are demons or ghosts, you know, yes. like it, it. So when you're if your kid's scared of it or if you're scared of it, uh, certainly no shame on that. Uh, you do have that like logic and reason of like, you know, there are there to the best of my scientific knowledge no demons are going to come get me uh, <laughs> or vampires or whatever, you know? And like, you have that logic underneath there, no matter how scared you might get. Cause you know, I think when you're alone in the dark, uh, you can be scared of a lot of things you're not scared of talking to yeah. me on, on zoom right now, but uh, sharks, uh, no, they're there. They're there know? and they're real <laughs> and they're fucking big and scary. Yeah. Yeah. It's not impossible. It is beyond all reason that you're going to get attacked by a shark when you're, you know, uh, having your daiquiri, uh, <laughs> in in the ocean or whatever, but it is not impossible, and it's, it's hard to let that go. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, as I said, no matter when you're in the water, this film has had so much of an impact on so many people because because of it, and uh, I think that's that's one of the you know sort of one of the many lasting uh, impacts, and definitely a phobia that for so many people apparently like after this film like no one was going to the beach i know yeah i've heard that so much and i i, I mean there's definitely i think people who still feel that way i don't know i was such a fearful child i don't know how i didn't do that more uh yeah. i think i did have some fear of uh i don't like being in where there's deep water beneath me uh, right, for yeah. some reason but uh growing up I, I i just was i couldn't wait to get in the ocean for one reason or another even after i'd seen jaws yeah, and that's what. But I love the ocean, so I love it too much. I think, and that's scared. what's mad as well, because that's I'm like the opposite of that. Like I took up like surfing like as soon as I turned like sort of like seventeen, eighteen. So it's a bit mm -hmm. later in life. But when I was a kid, I was like, I didn't have a fear for anything. Like I, oh, wow. I was, I would do anything. Um, and now I now I'm old. I miss it. But like, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I hadn't. I didn't have a fear for anything. But going I took in, it off for. I, I did all that for you. Yeah, that's it. But going <laughs> in the sea was actually something that freaked me out. Interesting. Yeah, and sorry, I, I think, I did, sorry, I didn't get that one from you. Oh no, that's all right. But <laughs> I, I think I think that is because of Jaws, because obviously Jaws since obviously it's been around since seventy five, not seventy eight, seventy five. 
as it's been around for so long, obviously so many of us saw it in our childhood uh, yeah. at a young age that it sort of gets you in early. And <laughs> so right. straight away, I remember the first time seeing it was I was really young and then it sort of put me off going in the water. So, so it's really interesting of, of what it's done, this film. But then obviously what we'll talk about a little bit more later is what it's done as an iconic piece of, of horror and cinema. But what we do now is obviously get into sort of the production info side of it, of, of what I've got um, for, for the film. You know, it gives you a little more of an insight as to what went on behind the scenes and, and so on. So uh, Richard D. Zanuck, uh, which is probably pronounced wrong, and David Brown. No, you said it. You got it. Good. Um, producers, I just need you on every podcast that I do just to make sure. <laughs> be like, no, that's wrong. That's right. Um, well, I, I can only do it with Charles, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> producers at Universal Pictures independently heard about Peter Benchley's novel, Jaws. A small card written by the magazine's book editor gave a detailed description of the plot, concluding with the comment, this might make a good movie. Nice. The producers each read... Uh, each read, sorry, the book over the course of a single night and agreed that the next morning that it was the most exciting thing that they had ever read and that they wanted to produce a film version. To direct, Zanuck and Brown first considered other filmmakers before offering the job to Dick Richards. They soon grew irritated by Dick Richard... Dick Dicks. Dick Dick, that's it. <laughs> oh, Dick Dick, what a name. <laughs> They soon grew irritated by Richard's habit of describing the shark, uh, <laughs> describing the shark as a whale and dropped oh, him yeah. from the project, um, which is mental, isn't it? Like you're literally, it's a shark. It's not a fucking yeah, whale. Yeah, they're like, this Dick Dicks guy is a real dick. Oh, Dick Dick. He keeps referring to, the, to Brucey as a whale. What? Fucking drop him. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, <laughs> Steven Spielberg very much wanted the job. The 26-year-old uh, had, had just directed his first... Sorry, theater. I got to stop you right there. Yeah, go on. I'm not kidding with you. My my alerts on my desktop computer just popped up, and I got an email from Dick's Sporting Goods. <laughs> Literally, as you were That's saying that. That's what he's that. doing now. That's <laughs> yeah. what he's doing now. <laughs> this guy's from That's Dick it. Dick, Dick Dick's Sporting Goods. <laughs> big Dick's Sporting Goods. Yeah, big Dick. <laughs> Come on down. Tell Come on big, down to Big Dicks. We tell got them Big Dicks sent you. <laughs> I did not get to make Jaws, but I am Big Dick. <laughs> so um, I've forgotten where I was. Oh, there you go. Meanwhile, Steven Spielberg very much wanted the job. The 26-year-old had just directed his first theatrical film, The Sugarland Express. Uh, at the end of the meeting in their office, Spielberg noticed their copy of the still unpublished Benchley novel, and after reading it, was immediately captivated. After Dick Dick's departure, the producer, <laughs> <laughs> after Big Dick's departure, the producers signed Spielberg to direct Jaws. After, in... after Big Dick really blew the meeting. <laughs> 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 but he's Spielberg direct, uh, signed on to direct in 1973. Before production began, Spielberg grew reluctant to continue filming Jaws in fear of becoming typecast as the truck and shark director, referencing obviously Jewel, he, his, his previous film. I think that was a TV movie, wasn't it, Jewel? It was, it yeah, was, yeah. I think it's definitely fucking amazing. It, oh my god, yeah, I I love it. I I I would say Sugarland Express is the only Spielberg movie where, where I can't I 
don't ne- totally care for yeah, it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. It's, I mean, I like it, um, but I like it for on a cinema standpoint in regards to uh, how I enjoy it. Looks so you get Spielberg in that, if yeah. you get what I mean. But yeah, uh, Duel, Duel was one of those films that I, I loved that growing up. I don't know what it was about it. I just loved it. It was, it's, it's such a fantastic film, um, and obviously there's yeah, I so. Think sh- I- I mean, say I think Sugarland Express is him. I mean, he wasn't. He hadn't made his "quote unquote" nut yet, and so I think that he was still trying to be someone who made movies, versus yeah. letting the horses run and being who he was. And I think yeah. Duel was what I think Duel is a big the game changer that was like, oh wait a second, if I actually just am selfish and have a blast, that's way more valuable than social commentary and being yeah. you know someone who makes movies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, because anyway, yeah, so he was reluctant to, uh, to continue filming it. Um, but Universal exercised its rights under its contract with the director to stop his departure. So basically, they're like, you're fucking going nowhere. <laughs> uh, but Brown helped convince Spielberg to stick with the project anyway, saying that after Jaws, you can make all the films you want. And obviously, if we know he fucking he's fucking gone mad and made loads of them. He did that. Yeah, yeah, he did do that. Um, the film was given an estimated budget of 3.5 million and a shooting schedule of 55 days. Principal photography was set to begin in May 1974. For the screen adaptation, Spielberg wanted to stay with the novel's basic plot, but discarded many of Benchley's subplots. He declared that his favourite part of the book was the shark hunt on the last 120 pages and told Zanuck when he accepted the job, I'd like to do the picture if I could change the first two acts and base the first two acts uh, on the original screenplay and then be very true to the book of the first uh, the, for the last third. So basically, he wanted to change it all and keep everything near the end of the same because he loved it. That's pretty much it. Overall, good choice. yeah, basically, it's a good right. choice. If you've ever read the book, you know that's a good choice. Yes, yeah. Uh, overall, Benchley wrote three drafts uh, before the script was turned over to other writers. Delivering his final version to Spielberg, he declared, I am, I'm written out on this and that's the best I can do. One of his changes was to remove the novel's adulterous affair between Ellen Brody and Matt Hooper, which is fucking weird. I mean, imagine that in the film. But yeah, at the suggestion of Spielberg, yeah. uh, who yeah, feared that, it would I would compromise. say that, that the idea of that, like, relationship being in the story it, it so isn't there um yeah. again funny i would point to that as another example of peter benchley being someone who writes a book because someone who writes a book is like oh there'll be this sexual tension and blah 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 and he's yeah. this guy's cheating on his his wife's cheating on him and blah 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 and it's like that's that's someone that's never been cheated on or cheated on anyone probably <laughs> be like i need drama and conflict uh you know and i think yeah Anyways, that's the opposite of what Jaws is. That's well, that's it. And I mean, so uh, obviously, at the uh, suggestion of uh, Spielberg, obviously change it, who feared it would compromise the camaraderie between the men on the Orca. And he's right. I mean, one of the one of the big driving factors of Chief Brody is his uh, commitment to his family. How much he quite clearly loves his kids, and he quite clearly loves his wife. For anything to happen, just it just wouldn't work. It would be, it would just feel like a totally, completely different film. Um, and I, 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 I would hate that. I know that if they kept that in the film, I would hate that element uh, in it because that's the point of, of you know, their family and and you know, she's a loving wife and he's a loving husband. 
And it's, I just, I like seeing that in this film. It's nice. It's a warm place to be. Yeah. It's what it's on Spielberg for recognizing the, the problem present is a gigantic man eating shark. Yes. Yeah. We don't need anything else. We don't need to hear about anything else. No. We, there is a person dealing with a man eating shark. And the more that people see comfort foodie, uh, normalcy on the other end of that, the stronger it's going to feel when they see yeah. the man eating shark. So that's all in Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just a man that knows what he's fucking doing. <laughs> so one, and one other specific alteration he called for the story was to change um, the cause of the shark's death from extensive wounds to a scuba tank explosion, uh, as he felt all the audiences would respond to better uh, to a big rousing ending. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, he changed the ending and made, made basically fish guts and everything fly everywhere with, with I'm sure at the time, cinemas going absolutely fucking ballistic. That was something that I would have loved to have been in in a cinema back then, seeing those sort of scenes for the first time, um, you know, just oh, in a cinema God. and just just seeing everybody's response to it. You know, you know, people like me and you, you know, we love film and I, I, I get so fully engrossed by it that being at a cinema when people like her are, are the same. Jaws is one of those films that feel like for me feels like it would have been one of those films where people were like so into it that they lose themselves like they lose mm -hmm. that they're actually watching a film and they're just following this journey of these characters and essentially they're just trying to destroy this shark and they fucking do it and blow the shit out of it. And I can just imagine the cinemas just fucking erupting. Oh, yeah. I imagine that was, yeah, like I, I, the first time I heard applause in a theater when I was a kid, that was like, as much as I was already probably destined to be obsessed with watching a movie in a theater the rest of my life, I, I would definitely, the first time I heard, the first, actually, I can tell you the first time I heard applause was when Marty McFly did the flip over Biff's car in the hoverboard. Oh, okay, yeah. The audience clapped and some people stood up and that, I, that was, that was definitely the landmark moment where I was like, oh my God, this is what movies are supposed to do to people you know yeah yeah it's like showing people something that they have never seen and never thought they would see um and, then, and they're just so invested they, yeah. they have to even though they're watching fake things that are staged yeah. and they're not it's not actually happening to them they're so invested that when it occurs they applaud as if they had just seen a live performance of a song or something because it just comes out of them yeah they're yeah, like, i'm this is, sure they this did is the best here. fucking thing i've ever seen in my life that's what they're thinking I'm sure that when Jaws was blown out of hell that they applauded, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Though Spielberg complied with a request from Zanuck and Brown to cast known actors, he wanted to avoid hiring any big stars. He felt that somewhat anonymous performers uh, would help the audience believe that this was happening to people like you and me. Exactly. Uh, the role of Brody was offered to Robert Duvall, but the actor was interested only in portraying Quint. Charlton Heston expressed a desire for the role, but Spielberg felt uh, that Heston would bring a screen person a two grand for the part of a police chief uh, of a modest community. Roy Scheider became interested in the project, project after overhearing Spielberg at a party talk with a screenwriter about having uh, the shark jump onto the boat. Spielberg was initially apprehensive about hiring Scheider, uh, fearing he would portray a tough guy similar to his role in The French Connection. 
Man, I'm sorry. I, I really Robert Duvall is way older than I thought he was. Yeah, he, I mean he's what, he's pretty old. Thought, yeah, my first thought is like, come on, Robert Duvall. Like he would have been way too young to pull off Quint, but like, no. Yeah, he's probably the same age uh, as Robert Shaw. He just didn't drink himself to death. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's exactly it. Um, yeah, I, I was I was going to say that as well, but you beat me to it. Um, Nine days before the start of production, neither Quint nor Hooper had been cast. Producers Zanuck and Brown had just finished working with Robert Shaw on The Sting and suggested him to Spielberg. Shaw was reluctant to take the role since he did not like the book, but decided to accept because his wife said so. (sighs) For the role of Hooper, Spielberg initially wanted John Voight. Kevin Klein and Jeff Bridges were also considered for the role. John Voigt, I don't know, part of me feels like the opposite, where, like, I don't know, was he, would he, would he have been too rot hole to play Hooper? But I suppose. I know, I don't want John Voigt as no, Hooper personally. No, absolutely. I suppose, sort of like for, for that role, I don't know, it's probably not really defined by age, is it? It's just defined by performance, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah, to could age up and down. I guess those were definitely our younger guys at the time, though. Um, yeah. I, I like Kevin Klein. But I think that, I don't know, you know, I would have bought Kevin Klein in this role. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely, I love that Richard Dreyfuss had a career, um, but it wasn't, I feel like he was Spielberg's guy for a couple of movies and then had a whole other career that was totally apart from that. I sort of love that the the version of him we get in Jaws and Close Encounters, it feels like it just belongs to those movies a little bit. I, yeah. I love Richard Dreyfuss. It's, it's just because it's such an iconic film and such like all the roles are iconic. You just you can't see anybody else play them now. Um, right, yeah. But yeah, Spielberg's friend, George Lucas, suggested Richard Dreyfuss, um, who he uh, who he directed in American Graffiti. The, the actor initially passed. But as we all know now, uh, finally said yes to the project. And thank God he did. Uh, because the film director's vision was so dissimilar to Penchy's novel, Spielberg asked Dreyfus not to read it. As a result of the casting, Hooper was rewritten, rewritten to better suit the actor as well as to be more representative of Spielberg, who came to view Dreyfus as his alter ego. Yeah, again, uh, that makes total sense that when you flash forward to uh, Close Encounters, which that's 100% what you're looking at, you know, is, yeah. is this little avatar for Spielberg. Yeah, exactly. Filming began May the 2nd, 1974, on the island of Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard was chosen because the surrounding ocean had a sandy bottom that never dropped below 35 A feet. coincidence? Yes. Uh, so do I. You have a very sandy bottom. <laughs> yeah, it's just gross. It hurts. <laughs> That's my trivia for you. I also you have a sandy bottom. Sandy bottom. There you go. As we were like, name when you walk into a bar. Here's old sandy bottom. <laughs> With sports, sandy bottom. <laughs> <laughs> but it never nice. dropped below 35 feet, which allowed the mechanical sharks to operate. Uh, while also beyond sight of land. As Spielberg wanted to film the aquatic scenes relatively close up to resemble what people see while swimming, cinematographer Bill Butler devised new equipment to, to, to facilitate marine and underwater shooting, including a rig to keep the camera stable regardless of tide and sealed submersible camera box. 
Initially, the film's producers ridiculously wanted to train a great white shark, but quickly realised <laughs> this wasn't possible and stupid as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that's it's just fucking dumb, isn't it? Yeah, that may be the epitome of like the joke like, of just like yeah. idiotic Hollywood executive. Yeah, being like just train a shark. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We could save money this way by training a real shark. Yeah, and then yeah, they've yeah. got the lawsuit when it's murdered thirty-five people. I'm trying to pay for my daughter's sweet sixteen. Just train the shark. <laughs> I have a bigger <laughs> fish to fry. <laughs> and they just hire some like sound guy to go and do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so three full-size pneumatically powered prop sharks, which the film crew nicknamed Bruce, as we've mentioned a million times during this, uh, after Spielberg's lawyer Bruce Raymer. Um, yeah. And uh, that's yeah. So three of them were made for production. The, their construction involved a team of as many as 40 effects technicians and the model required 14 operators to control all of the moving parts. Jaws was the first major motion picture to be shot on the ocean, resulting in a troubled shoot and went way over budget. David Brown said that the budget was around 3.54 million and the picture, picture wound up costing 9 million. Um, but Spielberg humbly attributed many problems to his perfectionism and his, inexper his inexperience. So once again, uh, Spielberg just being the guy that he is, you know, he, he understood uh, that it could have been his problem and could have been his fault. But uh, who gives a fuck when you make a film like this? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like, yeah, it sounds like, yeah, the, obviously we all know it's like the most painful process, but you know, one of the most important things that ever happened in pop culture history. So. So shooting at sea led to many delays, unwanted uh, sailed boats drifted into frame, cameras got soaked and the orca once began to sink with the actors on board, uh, you know, before it actually sunk. Um, the, the prop sharks frequently malfunctioned. Spielberg later calculated that during the 12 hour daily work schedule, uh, on average, only four hours were actually spent filming. The actors were frequently seasick because of this. The delays proved beneficial in some regards. Um, the script was refined during production and the unreliable me mechanical sharks forced Spielberg to shoot many scenes so that the shark was only hinted at. Uh, as Spielberg put it years later, the film went from a Japanese sat Saturday matinee uh, horror flick to a more of a Hitchcock. The less you can see, the more you get thriller. Um, yeah, and, I got to yeah. wonder. Sorry, I want to say I, I've always wondered. It's it's maybe the first nerdy trivia thing anyone's going to tell you about Jaws. That thing you just said, but it, I've always wondered. And the the conventional wisdom is therefore it was great. Like the, he couldn't show the shark a lot. So therefore he had a great movie. And I think that that is probably true, but yeah. I gotta wonder, I wish I had a crystal ball to see the movie he makes when he has an amazing immaculate shark. I wonder what that movie looks like, you know, yeah. cause this dude did go on to make Jurassic park in which the dinosaurs certainly did work. So I'm just yeah. curious what jaws looks like if the jaw, if the shark does work, but I am not, I'm, I don't want to enrage people. I like the movie we have. Yes. I want it the way it is. I just but would in like an alternate little... universe, I'm it would be nice. Yeah. I'm just curious. I, don't, because, I wouldn't prefer it. I'm just curious. Yeah, because I mean that's the thing. You don't you don't know. You know, like it, it could be, you know, it could be so you know a, a even bigger vision than what we got. The you know as the actual film is. You know, it right? Could have and been it, it would something. not. 
it would not be the same movie. And I would argue that, yeah, more than likely uh, that limitation is a giant part of what made it what it is. And it, it might be a lesser movie. Yes. I just want a magic uh, lens to see it. That's all. <laughs> yeah, just to see what, what uh, Jaws would have been if he'd have got what he wanted. Right. Although principal photography was scheduled to take the 55 days, it did not wrap up until October the 6th, 1974, after 159 days of shooting. Spielberg reflected on the shoot, stated, I thought my career as a filmmaker was over. Little did he mm. know, obviously. Um, <laughs> two, two scenes were altered following test screenings, as the audience's screams had covered up Scheider's bigger boat one-liner. They ended up have to obviously change it and, and so on, or, or add it, add different... I don't know whether they, they changed the scene completely or whether they just upped how he, you know, the volume on, on how he said it. I'm not sure, but... Um, yeah, I've never heard that. Interesting. I'm not sure what I don't know what that's about. No, Other than um, they just had the ADR. Obviously, I mean they would have probably ADR'd it anyway because they were that big stunt going. I have no idea actually in 1975 if that was an no. issue or not. God knows. And Spielberg also decided that he was greedy for one more screen and reshot the scene in which Hooper discovers Ben Gardner's body using $3,000 of his own money after Universal refused to pay for the reshoot. And let's say it's lucky he did, as that is, and as we mentioned earlier, always will be a standout scene, scene for horror and suspense and is the first jump scare uh, so many of us remember. And uh, as we've already said, as a kid, it scared the shit out of me, as, <laughs> as it did so many. The music was composed by the great John Williams, which earned him an Academy Award. Spielberg later said that without Williams' score the film would have been only half as successful. And once again, we touched on that mm. earlier. Uh, it's, it's monumental to, to this film and cinema. John Williams is, uh, you know, you can't uh, think of films that are, you know, iconic like this without thinking of, of this, the music and how much it adds and has an input to the driving force of the film. Yeah. Uh, and man, John Williams I'd... is there at the forefront of that. I can think of, I can... <sighs> If you compare film score to any other industry, um, I cannot think of anyone as profound as John Williams. That there's that much of a gap between, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's just hard to think of anyone that you could compare it to because it's just people don't know the names of a whole lot of film composers. Your average Joe yeah. doesn't know that many. They probably know John Williams. Yeah, exactly. Like someone like John Carpenter for something, you know, he's an icon of horror through his movies. And as we know, does so much of his own soundtracks and does soundtracks for, for other things and that. And his music is iconic. Um, but you're right. John Williams as a name is more of a household name. Yeah. And I mean, there's just how many industries are like that where it's yes. like, well, the only person that film composers is not generally household names that's changing now as our yes. culture becomes more uh indoctrinated and in, in creativity and and the inner workings of pop culture but traditionally uh that's that's crazy you can i don't know it's just crazy thing there's an industry where it's like people don't know those names they know that one yeah exactly and what a fucking legend is Jaws opened at cinemas on June the 20th, 1975, with a record 7 million opening weekend and grossed a record 21 million in its first 10 days, recouping its production costs, uh, and it grossed 100 million in its first 59 days. Mm. 
the God. film yeah it's mad uh the for film, 1975 this is bonkers yes yeah, it's, it's insane the film released overseas in december 1975 and its international business mirrored its domestic performance on january the 11th 1976 jaws became the highest grossing film worldwide and overall across all of its uh releases jaws had grossed 472 million worldwide to put that into a former perspective that now due to inflation would have made over something like 2 billion Jeez. Uh, which is fucking mental because you know it would have been what the biggest film of all time if, if it was released today so yeah it, it did all right as well as cinema goers, the critics loved this film and couldn't get enough of it. It praised the brilliant directing from Steven Spielberg, astonished by his fresh approach, approach on filmmaking, especially so early on in his career. The poor performances were also praised for creating these likable and relatable characters you love to follow and wish no harm upon them. And was also praised for bringing horror to the mainstream in a family fun kind of way. Jaws went on to win three Academy Awards, being Best Score, Best Sound and Best Editing and was nominated for a Best Picture but lost out to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which I, I love that film, but out of the two, I'm, I'm going to go with Jaws. Yeah, yeah. I, I love, yeah, I love One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest too, but I don't, yeah, come on. Yeah, exactly. You know, it was probably just Big Jack Nicholson and they fucking love him, didn't they? Yeah, yeah he was the darling. Yeah, that's so and what he, what was the, but that was best director or best uh, film, best, best picture. Uh, I think that was best film um, okay. because I think uh, from what I read, Steven Spielberg got a little bit pissed off that he wasn't uh, nominated. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he wasn't. That's right. Wasn't even yeah. nominated. Yeah, best, it's mad. Right. It? Duh. So the, the legacy of Jaws has and will live on. And since its release has made a huge impact. Jaws was key in establishing the benefits of a wide national release backed by heavy television advertising rather than the traditional progressive release in which a film slowly entered new markets and built support over time. Jaws was also the first summer blockbuster, as we now know, and played a major part in establishing summer as the prime season for release of studios' biggest box office contenders. Jaws set the template for many horror films uh, and any, many films like it, to the extent that the script for Ridley Scott's 1979 science fiction film Alien was pitched to the studio executives as Jaws in space. Wow. <laughs> yeah. um, Jaws is integral to horror, integral to cinema. And no, how many times do you see this film? You ask the questions. Why did they do that? How did they do that? And after all these years, always entertained fans of old and fans of new who all the time are discovering this universally worldwide loved masterpiece of film. And that will continue to be for the rest of time. And just like Bruce, the Bruce the Shark, this film belongs in a museum. Nice. It belongs in a museum. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, we're getting to that a little bit later, you know, going into how we feel about the film and so on. But, you know, it's important. It's an important one. It's an integral one, uh, which is which is, as I say, what we talk about. But we go on to the facts because I know how much you all like facts. But I know that because you lot tell me. So that's why I add them. Um, they, but, say, they write you and they say just the facts, man. Yeah, they're, they're just like, fuck off, just shit the rest of it and get your annoying voice out of it and just computer generate Shut it. 
Oh, give me that info. <laughs> Just give me the facts. That's it. So number one, mass hysteria about sharks took over after the film was released, like we mentioned. So when the movie was released in 1975, a bizarre mass hysteria took over the general public and hundreds of incidents involving sharks occurred across America. Or so, you know, so they say. Number two. Roy Scheider had to be put had to put up with being slapped over 17 times, uh, which is never fucking nice for anyone. Uh, yeah, so the scene where uh, the, the mother comes up to him and, and basically slaps him, she was like untrained in regards to what they would call even a slap. They call it a stunt. Uh, uh, she, yeah. she was untrained and basically kept fucking hitting him. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I mean, he's a tough guy. He can deal with it. Yeah, I think uh, she had a crush on him and she just wanted to like... Yeah, probably keep touching him as much as I'm possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, number three, Robert Shaw, who played Quint, had to flee the country once his scenes were completed. Shaw got in trouble with the IRS and ended up having to flee the country each time his scenes were completed for that particular shooting schedule. The actor was being investigated for tax evasion. What a life, eh? He's lived... <laughs> I know exactly. A wild man. <laughs> He's a wild guy. Uh, number four, Richard Dreyfus or Dreyfus really didn't enjoy being bullied by Shaw on set. The actor really enjoyed his time working on the movie. However, Dreyfus once confessed that the one thing he couldn't stand while filming on location was being uh, was the bullying he received from Robert Shaw. Apparently, while Shaw was very nice to him in private, the alcoholic actor seemed to be to enjoy berating Dreyfus in front of the other cast and crew members. Um, and also, when I read that, I sort of like thought to myself, but was that like, was that yeah. an actual Method. approach that he made? Because that's sort of part of the character in the film. I would guess that it was. Yeah. I mean, because it's like the, the anecdotes, like if you watch uh, The Shark is Still Working, the actual anecdotes are like, they sound very much like the way that Quint, the character, treats Hooper, the character. Yes. Uh, it sounds just like he was like giving him shit about being like out of shape and being like, uh, for a man your age, you can't even give me 10 push-ups. Yeah. And like uh, just that kind of just big boy in him, they call it over here in the South. Big boy in him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, I... I, I I just think uh, that that's pretty much what it was when it was just him being in character and, and trying to, to, you know, make it work for the screen by making it work off screen. Yeah. Yeah. Which it's, you know, I mean, I'm sure that works, you know, I mean, sort of don't have a choice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Uh, number five, Spielberg fled the set of his own movie. So Spielberg decided to sneak out and leave secretly while the final scene was being shot because he wanted to escape the wrath of his crew members. On the last day of shooting, Spielberg overheard rumours that his crew was planning on dunking him underwater as revenge for the chaos of the production, but he got out of it. Uh, number six, George Lucas accidentally, accidentally got his head stuck inside the shark. Yeah, I love that. So this is, I mean, you might have, read something like different but this is what i've got anyway so in a prank gone wrong steven spielberg took his friends george lucas and martin scorsese good friends to have yeah. uh, uh around uh, just just my mate george lucas and martin scorsese imagine yeah, I, that 
um, uh, took them around the effects workshop where the shark was being held. After explaining the issue that they had been having with Bruce the shark, George Lucas decided to put his head in and Steven Spielberg closed the mouth, which was supposed to open, but didn't, keeping Lucas's head stuck in the shark's mouth. Luckily, no one was harmed, but after realising they did something they shouldn't, they all ran away from the scene of the crime. <laughs> I love that. I actually, I always heard that it was his penis. How <laughs> <laughs> fucked that? I mean, <laughs> his lightsaber. His lightsaber. That's it. His warm. <laughs> so, so number. Seven. He was like, he was like, oh, the shark's kind of like a tauntaun. I bet it's warm. I bet it's warm inside this shark. <laughs> As it, Martin Scorsese is just running around. Yeah, George, don't put your head in the shark. <laughs> That's it. And then before you know it, it's stuck. It's got stuck. And then they leg it like little boys. Yeah, um, I love, that's a great story. Yeah, it's a great story. Just imagine being there. Just those three clowning around. Um, <laughs> number seven, the line, you're going to need a bigger boat, was ad-libbed. Uh, turns out mm. this is something of a catchphrase during production. Said whenever things inevitably wow, went yeah. wrong. Uh, Shida said that the quote th- said the quote throughout the filming of the uh, and and shooting, and this one made the cut. Yeah, it's awesome. It's, yeah, it's, it's so good. Uh, basically, what I keep on imagining is them. He keeps on saying it like every take. Yeah, and then they're like, no, not not now, <laughs> like not this one. And then finally, they're like, no, that one works. Yeah, we caved. <laughs> Number eight, Peter Benchley has a quick cameo. So the original author of Jaws of the Jaws novel was given the chance to appear in the big budget movie based on his work, where he plays the reporter on the beach, which is more than just sort of a throwaway thing. He's got like what 10, 15 seconds of screen yeah. time. Yeah, that would have been before he left in uh, rage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and number nine, this is my last one. Richard Dreyfus did not have faith in Jaws. Dreyfus was so convinced that Jaws was going to be a failure, he told people not to see it prior to release. Much to his surprise, Jaws would go on to be one of the biggest films and become one of the first examples of a blockbuster. What the fuck do you know, Dreyfus? Yeah, I know. Yeah, his biggest movie for sure. That's it. That's it. And I mean, he's been I in guess. a few big ones, right? He's been yeah. in a few of them. Um, and that's it. That's it in regards to my facts. You got anything? Oh my! Oh my goodness! I certainly do. So, like with Lost Boys, I did my best to pick out things that were like just. I feel like you're not going to hear everywhere. Yeah. Um, I think the one thing I, I want to bring up that I that I wondered if it would come up during it that didn't is uh, that the scene with um, the head and uh, finding is that Ben Gardner's body? I guess right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, find that that was in Verna Fields, the editor. That was in her swimming pool. Oh right, okay, that's cool. Yeah, the whole thing was in her swimming pool. Um, that's that that one. You're, you're going to find that elsewhere, though. But th- these are my more uh, personal ones, or I guess really they're more. You can find these elsewhere too. Uh, except for these are just my favorite things about Jaws. I have a lot of intense feelings about Jaws. Some of my favorite things that make me identify with it and feel like I get Spielberg. Uh, yeah. There's two things. I love the idea of that. You know, Peter eventually blew it. Uh, that book was not going to directly adapt. And when he tried to do so, it wasn't good. And it was Spielberg and his friend, Carl Gottlieb, who's also the mayor's little lackey in the movie that were rewriting it. And that they were literally rewriting it the night before the shoot. So they would go out and shoot and then go back to their little bungalow on Martha's Vineyard and like drink beer and figure out the next day's pages. Um, 
I don't know, man. God, if I could be a little fly on the wall or just yeah. be around for any moment in history, that's definitely in the top five choices I'd make. Because I make movies with my friends, and and to hear the my favorite movie of all time, the birthplace of the modern blockbuster, was the same thing as when we made our first feature that yeah. we would like shoot all day, and then we would like go to the bar at night and like talk about what we were going to shoot the next day, and then literally. Micah would stay up all night writing it and then we would start it over the next day. And um, I just, I identify with that so much. I love that. And my, my second favorite thing that I also very much identify with is that, um, you know, a lot of people, they hear how Spielberg like snuck onto the set and uh, of Universal. And, and it sounds sometimes like when you hear the history of what got him to Jaws was that he was a super cocky, confident, not cocky, but confident guy who just, was moving forward regardless of whatever and had the confidence to do so it is true he was going to move forward and yeah. make movies be damned but he was not a confident person he was an extremely anxious person so it makes it so much more valuable and amazing that he pushed through being a very neurotic person yeah he threw up every morning before he went to set and um this again this is i hate this for him but i love this because i identify he walked away from jaws having night terrors for years uh like when you i still dream about public school like i still to this dude like last week dreamt i had to go back to school um from just like my experiences of getting bullied and stuff and i, I probably always will have those nightmares um and wake up thinking like oh my god it's real and then realizing it's not he was that was this constant thing right after jaws right he i've seen him say in an interview that he was literally still in the 90s like he's making Jurassic Park and he's still waking up in his wherever lavish home he's staying at in Hawaii in a sweat yeah. because of something that happened in 1975. Yeah. And that is so gettable. I love that. Um, the other things I want to point out are uh, the, if you've ever, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too much, but Joe Hill, uh, the son of Stephen King presented a theory on Twitter once about um, a murder mystery uh called the lady of the dunes that was a body that was found it was the lady of the dunes was nicknamed for an unidentified murder victim discovered on july 26 1974 in the race point dunes in provostown massachusetts her body was exhumed blah blah, blah. she was like mutilated it was very much like a uh, black dahlia murder kind of a thing right okay. she was never identified no one knows this woman's name they still don't know her name uh joe hill <clears throat> upon it's like his favorite movie's jaws and it po apparently at some point when he was watching it saw her he has a theory that he sees her in the b-roll of the people arriving on martha's vineyard on at amity for the july 4th um because there's a woman who has her description wearing the clothes that this woman was found in dead um and if that's her she would have been on the set of jaws very shortly before being slaughtered no um, way yeah and that's just a theory that joe hill put forth there's no way to prove it or disprove no. it yeah, look it up. I uh, uh, look up Lady or look up Joe Hill, Lady of the Dunes. Um, it's insane. It's yeah, absolutely that insane. is insane, isn't it? Um, my other one. This is the most personal thing I can offer. Um, when he first started out trying to make movies and stuff, Jaws was this huge deal to me. That I would watch once a week, and um, I would always love seeing the shooting stars because I'd be like, "What's happening?" I mean, I, at the time I was probably watching it on VHS or DVD, and I'm like, uh that's so crazy that those are there. What the hell are those? And then I saw it's an interview with Steven Spielberg where he's saying, uh, 
it always felt like, you know, the movie wasn't going to work out. And um, he just decided to keep moving no matter what. And he felt like the universe was telling him, you're right. Keep going. We're here for you. We're going to make this magic happen. He, it was his theme song was the like, when you wish upon a star. And then like, uh, like a bolt out of the blue, fate steps in and sees you through. And he was like, these shooting stars were this sign from the universe that uh, I was doing the right thing and I should just keep going. Uh, but they look like they're probably visual effects. Also, that seems like a hell of a coincidence because there's two of them. And if you look this up online, it'll, all you're going to find is that Spielberg says those are real. Uh, but even though they do look like optical effects, I can admit that. Uh, <laughs> I met Joe Alves, the uh, production designer at a, at a horror movie convention. And I was like, the, those two shooting stars had been this big deal to me for a lot of my life. And I was like, you know, those two shooting stars that are in it. It's like, you know, Spielberg always said that those really happened on set. And he just like, without a beat, was like, oh, he, he put those in in post. And like, <laughs> didn't miss a beat. And he like broke my heart a little bit. But it's yeah. a little bit, it's a little silly that I thought that. Because by the time you get to watching it, like on Blu-ray and stuff, they're obviously optical effects. Yeah. But um, I heard it from uh, a trustable source that... They're, 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 they're not real. Yeah, the internet won't officially tell you that. Joe Alves will officially tell you that to your face. Those are not real stars. <laughs> what a shame! What a yeah, shame! I know, but uh, that's all I got. So there you go. You've had it all. You've had the amazing Google synopsis. There's always fucking top draw. You've the had. My, <laughs> you've had uh, my synopsis uh, of the film. It's a little bit more in depth as usual. You've the got tail. In, <laughs> you've got the uh, information production info about the film and then you've got facts which the is the whole damn thing the whole Sorry. damn thing that's it i know i was waiting for you to do, it. To do I was, it i was i was enjoying it right. i was enjoying it um <laughs> but yeah you've got everything you need a jaws episode so but also the thing is is that i can't end one of these episodes without doing what is important to me and important to the guests as well I want us to talk about how we feel about this film. What does this film, Jaws, mean to us? You go first, Chris, because uh, I know it's your favourite film of all time. It is, it is. And I, mean, I got into this a little bit in the, uh, talking about the facts and stuff. Yeah. But I, um, yeah, for me, it's a movie that, like, I saw when I was a little kid. Um, it was significant in my childhood in that it was maybe the first thing that, uh, as a child, I didn't like old things. I didn't want, I didn't want to hear music that came out from before I was little. I didn't want to hear see movies that were old. I just like rejected them all. And I think Jaws was the first thing that my dad put on that that didn't matter. And I enjoyed it as if it was brand new. Um, I was probably too young to be watching it, but uh, <laughs> like, like most movies. Well, I was going to say, well, aren't we all? <laughs> right. Yeah. But um, it was, I think it was significant in my childhood for that, even though my personal movies were like Back to the Future and Goonies. Yeah. Uh, Jaws stood out to me for that reason. And then uh, again, happened again when I was, I, I maintained that, like, I don't like old things idea. Uh, and then when I was a teenager, I went to Universal Studios, Florida, and that was another landmark. I wrote Jaws and I'm like, I think that was the first time that I was like, wait a second, I love Jaws, you know? And then that, <laughs> that began this thing where I revisited it and- uh, And like obsessed over it. Obsessed over it. And then honestly, I think that threshold happened again in my twenties when I started making movies. I watched it again after having not seen it for a few years. And it was like seeing it for the first time. That one actually was the most profound time I think I watched it. No other movie has, to some degree, I do that with different 
loved movies, but no movie other than Jaws has ever had that much of a like repeatedly in life. I watch it and it's like it's the first time I watched it. Yeah, yeah, I you're see right. It in a whole fresh eyes. Um, and but the one time I saw it in my twenties was when I was like, the magic of it came through. Like I think that something like Citizen Kane. When people say it's their favorite movie, or it's the best movie of all time, I, I think a lot of times they're really talking about an emotion and a feeling and a kind of a, a sense and a ghosty presence of the movie. Yeah. Uh, and Jaws is that for a lot of people. It's it's You can debate these flaws or that flaws. Uh, I haven't heard people point out a lot of flaws about Jaws. They're there, I'm sure. But it doesn't matter. Um, that movie is a feeling that you get that is just defies explanation if it's for you. And um, I have that with Jaws. Um, so yes, it is like a wonderful, the sense of peril is so true and fundamental. Um, the way that the story is so lean and it's only worrying about this physical problem and the way that it's bouncing off of a character who is what some might call a uh, Mary Sue or whatever, um, just a, a nice, you know, middle-aged man who at the time was supposed to be probably thought of as relatively young i guess all those things make it this wonderfully entertaining and it just all the typical spielberg sugariness or whatever yeah. all those things make it a fun entertaining movie a thrilling movie a scary movie but that still isn't why it's so important to me it's just the idea of it and the meaning of it and the the time and place uh, on top of what it means to anyone that wants to be a filmmaker that's that's a whole other thing that to be honest with you i guess I could try to lie about and sound less nerdy, but it is a massive part of me of it yeah. to me that all that magic is wrapped up in wanting to be a filmmaker and holding it up as this big testament that, well, one of the most important films of all time was someone who shouldn't have made it, wasn't supposed to make it, had everything going against them. The only thing he had going for him was himself and his drive and his passion. Yeah. And that was it. in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That was it. Came from a working class family uh, the only lucky stroke that that dude had in terms of film was a dad who pointed to a camera in the garage when he was very young and said, oh, hey, why don't you make movies for the school project? Um, he got it in his like 10,000 hours a decade earlier than most people would have, uh, certainly earlier than anyone would have in the 60s. And so, you know, now kids now, or they start getting the 10,000 hours in at a very young age. But uh, there's just everything going against him. He made it. It's this evidence that you can do it. You can persevere. And I know none of this has anything to do with a shark, but it is why it matters to me. Uh, but I don't want to dismiss all the actual merits of the movie that I'm sure that everyone understands are there. Yeah. Uh, it's just there are a million reasons. And I think it is this nexus, this sort of crossover moment where between a generation that was discovering a new way to make movies, the death rattle of the old Hollywood uh, was all happening at once. This society that was the where boomers were first becoming real consumers, not just teenagers, uh, having families and uh, being this new force of, of what was going to consume movies. And it was a movie that spoke directly to them. Horror movies were ready to, to, be born anew in the seventies after people going through Vietnam and their yeah. sense of mortality. It was just this nexus moment for so much. And I think that's why it's no crazy. Well, it is a coincidence that John Williams starts here. Spielberg yeah. starts here, just like every Stephen King starts here. Yeah. Uh, you know, the whole zoetrope 
family and all that stuff and all that Scorsese and Coppola and Lucas, it all starts right here. Yeah. Um, and it all just descends on Jaws. It is a magic moment in human history. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, I always say, and it's interesting when you say uh, about, you know, looking at it as a filmmaker standpoint, because uh, as I've said, you know, said before, and I've said on the podcast and said to many people over my life, that acting and, and filmmaking is what I wanted to do and obviously will continue to want to do for the rest of my life. And uh, I always have different films that I look at in regards to an acting, like, you know, standpoint and, and performances. And I have different films that I look at in regards to filmmaking. And Jaws is, for me, in regards to filmmaking, the most influential film that I can personally look at. I just think that it doesn't, it just ticks every single box as a filmmaker that you need to look for you know, in regards to stylistically and how it looks, you know, I'm such a huge fan of, uh, you know, as a filmmaker of showing it all. And that's what Jaws does. You know, mm. Spielberg has always been so good at showing everything, you know, with he uses wide angle lenses and, and everything. To... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You mean showing everything, not like shark, obviously, just visually. Yeah, frame. yeah, visually. The frame yeah, is the frame. super wide. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. it. And I love that because... Uh, it gives you that extra sense of realism that there's yeah. nothing there hiding. There's nothing to hide. Um, it's, you know, it's telling a story, whereas so many other directors may then go in for those close-ups and get all those sort of, you know, those. Because they feel more shots. artsy. Yeah, exactly. And, and there is a, there is a place for that. But in regards to if you're making a film that is about storytelling, that is about yeah, performance. Um, this is what, that's what Jaws is there for. It is for yeah, me. That's my favorite. And the seventies was all about that. That's it. And when I watch Jaws one for me, um, it's like, for me, like a Bible for me, like it's like a, like a how to for dummies. That's what Jaws is for me as a, as you know, if I'm looking at it in regards to a, a filmmaker perspective, but also what Jaws means to me on a personal level is that it really takes me back to being a kid. Every time I watch it, I, I just, I love watching it and every time I do, I just want to watch it again. And this, we're talking about a film that came out in the seventies, like you're saying, you know, and we're talking about a film that we've seen so much in our lifetime that I never ever get bored of any single second of it. And I just want to put it straight back on afterwards because I mean, I feel like I'm in awe of it. You know, there's a reason why this film has, has, the lifespan that it has and that's because of masterful filmmaking fantastic performances insane visuals john williams being the fucking g it has everything that you need and then it's all in one film it's just so important to people on a personal level and it's so it's so important to people on a professional level as well yeah, it's it has a among the things I was saying about like sort of magic thing that's happening with it is it is such a um, it's this young filmmaker giving it who's 27 years old or although it turns out like he might have maybe was more likely 28 when he made it. But he's this incredibly young filmmaker who is giving it all he's got and yeah. expressing his love of film uh, and story and then the actual fear of being a human uh and it's done so with 
as much as he can and he's giving it all he has that I, I also think that adds to why it more than other movies from the time period are you can taste the time and place of it. Yeah. It's in there for you. And I think that's why it's a, I always go back to this kind of comfort food movie for so many people is because it is a bit of a time capsule that you can taste. You yeah. can feel where you are in American history uh, and human pop culture history there. Uh, it's just, it's in baked, it's just baked into that movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I could just talk about it for so long and I know you could do as well because it's, um, as I said, and I said it right at the start, it's a film that's incredibly important to people and more people, you know, in my lifetime choose this film over any other film. You know, this is the film that they, they would watch for the rest of their life if they could without any other because it has every single thing that you need in it. And I, I honestly don't think that there's very many people uh, that would listen to this podcast or anything that was never seen Jaws, or it's so difficult to go out into real life and speak to people who haven't seen this film. It's, it's universally loved by, by everyone. And it's getting, it gets new people all the time. And in all honesty, I don't even know if that's ever going to change. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that it's always going to have, I think and that's part of it too. I don't like that. It was the first movie that as a kid, I didn't care was old and I was very yeah. against seeing anything that was old. And it was the first movie that cut through like that. And I, that is part of what you're saying right now, where that's, I think it's probably always going to work uh, yeah. for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And I hope so. I hope that, uh, you know, I hope that my daughter grows up and when she's, you know, old <laughs> and then I'm even older, yeah. I hope that we can still sit there and she's going to say to me, do you want to watch Jaws? And every time I'll go, yes. You know, I'm so happy that we've done the episode about it. Uh, and I'm so happy that it still continues to be, uh, you know, something that people use in regards to filmmaking standards and saying, essentially, this is how you make a fucking good film. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm very happy that you asked me to uh, do this episode though, and that you thought of me because, yeah, that I would have been a little bit hurt if you didn't yeah i remember saying uh, to you i was saying this to my partner the other day but i remember saying uh on our very early conversations that we ever had that you said about uh jaws being your favorite film and mm -hmm. i knew i said i if i ever do an episode about jaws chris will be on it even if chris at that point had been on like a hundred shows no, I was just like, awesome. it, it was always going to be you uh on this episode and yeah. um and i'm so thankful that you came back on it and uh we've obviously had a laugh doing it and and uh you know spoke in depth about this film that means so much to us and and the film that means so much to so many people um Absolutely, yeah very but, very excited about it that's it so but Obviously, you know, it's not just about me. It's about you as well. And, uh, you know, Dead Me Pete is there. It's, you know, it's going. And I, I, talk, I talk to you, I've spoken to you about how much I love the show. But everything, whatever you've got going, now's your time. Sell yourself. Okay. I'm selling myself. Uh, so if you didn't hear me pitch uh, Dead Meat Pete, uh, the last time I was on the show, it's a an audio drama 
fiction podcast, uh, and it is a uh, ongoing series about a background character from a cheesy '80s horror movie who discovers that if he can survive and defeat the monster before the movie's actual hero, that the movie will spit him out and he will be he will leap into other horror movies uh, where he must continue to defeat the main villain before the hero and get spit into another movie. Um, and it's uh, in season, so like the each movie is a season. So season one, the finale comes out Tuesday. Um, and that Colin White. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Thank you. That is the this is the finale of the story of the movie that Pete is in. Um, he is set free by another movie leaper named Axel. Um, so the series is uh, at present uh, Pete and Axel trying to get out of Pete's home origin movie, which is an 80s monster creature feature called Bloody Bones. And I think that's all. Yeah, look us up on uh, we're on every deadmeatpete.com. We're on every streaming or podcast platform. Look up Dead Meat Pete on Instagram. Uh, I post a lot. I'm an illustrator and a designer, so I post a lot of visual um, accompaniment for the show. It's a very like, sort of comic booky feeling thing. So you get to you get all your visuals on Instagram. Otherwise, it's just audio. Yeah, and it's. I mean, I love it. You know, I do. Uh, it's got obviously a six fucking soundtrack as well. Um, oh, yeah. you know always sort of very 80s uh synth and sort of uh inspired it's you know everyone needs to go and listen to it because like i said and i said this on the last po- podcast and i've said it to you and i'll say it before uh i love things like this because obviously one i'm a fan of horror and you get that two you get you know a very very well written story that you really you know root for these characters and you really enjoy your time with them and uh, or what time you get with them that is um and uh because that's the thing you never know what's going to happen um but what i love about it is this um you know this nostalgia impact that you get from it because me being old and growing up uh, you know, walking around with a Walkman and listening to music that way, but listening to sort of audio stories and that mm. through a Walkman is something that I used to love to do. And I get that feeling when when we're listening to to sort of the audio story and going through it with uh, Dead Meat Pete. So yeah, that's all I could ask for. That's exactly what I want you to feel. So that's yeah. wonderful news. And uh, so I love it. I can't wait for the finale. Uh, so I haven't got a clue what's going to happen. And um, I'm excited about it, you know, nice. and and everybody else needs to be as well. So if you're listening to this and you haven't, please go out, get on Instagram and then get on obviously Spotify and all that, all, all the all the platforms that you can get on. Go and listen to Dead Meat Pete and uh, bloody enjoy it. If you're a horror fan, it's a treat. If you love stories, it's a treat. And uh, and and hopefully, you know, much more will come. And uh, yeah, and if you do check it out, um, and I realize I never say this when I'm like on an, I'm getting interviewed about it because I don't ever want to be like trying to pretend that I'm flaunting this or anything. But uh, the actor that plays Axel uh, is the son of Morgan Freeman, and um, no way. Yeah, you didn't know that. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's his son, and uh, he he. Um, so yeah, if nothing else, check it out out of morbid curiosity for what Morgan Freeman's son sounds like. <laughs> sounds like yeah that's yeah. awesome that's um, that's, that's amazing nice thank you and if you do please 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 leave, leave a um written review on Apple Podcasts it's like yes the only way that we get to grow the show yeah yeah I mean that's it exactly I mean I obviously I will I will close the show and and speak a little bit more about that but it you know right now in regard to talking about it 
reviews and ratings and everything you can do for shows genuinely really helps more than any you know more than you know it is it helps grow everything you know the reviews and and everything and the sharing that everybody does for this show is what's making it bigger uh, and what makes uh, me be able to evolve the show and bring you more and that goes to say for everything um that you're listening to so if you go and listen to dead meat pete uh and then do what i know you will do which is enjoy it don't just click off the page please leave a review and tell everybody how fucking good it is um because that way as as chris rightly says it, it can grow and uh we can all dedicate the time that we need to for it Right. Think in, uh, before you do that, do the exact same thing with the show you're listening to right now, if you have not done that already. Yeah. Well, if they haven't, I'll come after them. Yeah. Um, well, serious. <laughs> exactly. The Jaws music going. Uh, <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Folks, <That's> a... <laughs> leave that review. You've got it. Well, listen, Chris, look, thank you for coming on the show again um i know it, it won't be the last time don't you worry no. and uh we, we'll find another film to pick apart to talk about and uh what i loved about doing this episode with you is uh the same thing as all i love doing about lost boys is that one we had a laugh doing it but importantly we talk very passionately about these things that we care so much about because they're more than just films to us um they are uh so much even even if they are they're like a guide for us not only through our childhood but they're also a guide for us in regards to professionalism in regards to filmmaking and acting and everything that we wanted to do in life or want to do in life and continue to pursue uh things like jaws and lost boys is always there for us um so uh thank you so much again for coming on this this episode where we've spoken about another iconic piece of of horror cinema well thank you so much for ha having me i was very happy to be here good good well listen i will speak to you soon and uh until next time uh we've got to figure out what film we do exactly. that'll be the next thing we'll figure it out um but it's bound to be a fucking good one so take care my friend and uh i'll speak to you soon all right bye so we're nearly there we've nearly done it again we've got close and I say close to the end of another episode. If you have listened so far, thank you. If you've got this far, you're fucking awesome. If you stick to the end, you're even fucking more awesomer. Is that a word? I don't give a fuck. I've made it up. It's done. Um, yeah, it's, you know, Chris, I'm so happy he has returned for another episode. And I genuinely, genuinely do hope that you go and listen to uh, our advice and go and check out Dead Meat Pete and anything that he does. And anything afterwards he does, you know he's going to be fucking brilliant. I can't wait to listen to the finale of Dead Meat Pete. I'm not just saying that I love it just for the sake that he's on the podcast and you've got to be all nice and that. I don't give a fuck about that. What I care about is being truthful and that is exactly what I am. I genuinely love sitting there and listening to Dead Meat Pete and I think you will too. So go and give it a listen and share it on and I'll get into that a little bit later. But what, I, what we're getting to now is another bit of the podcast to close it off that I absolutely love. You know I do. And that is the segment, Your First Time. If you've listened to the show before, you know exactly what that is. If you haven't, then what it is, is where people uh, are sending me over, whether it's on Instagram or TikTok, 
uh, or Twitter or any of the other fucking platforms that I've got. And what they're doing is they're sending me over their first experiences that they can remember um, with a horror film. And I absolutely love reading these and I love getting this nostalgia sort of impact on myself because it makes me remember when I watched those films for the first time. But I just love reading how uh, detailed you give me your experiences of it. So uh, make sure that you do send them over to me. But on this episode, I've got a couple to read to you. I don't like to give too many because uh, nobody wants to keep listening to my fucking annoying voice because I know I don't. So I'm sure you really don't. So <laughs> so uh, on this uh, episode, as, as I say, I've got a couple of your first time uh, horror experiences to read to you. So uh, for this one, we've got Tara Lane, uh, who sent it over to me on Instagram. Uh, so make sure you go and follow them. And they put, when I was five years old in 1984, I vividly remember watching The Exorcist on television, not cable, but television with my grandmother. But I do remember clearly watching uh, the classic movie Cujo, also in 1984, also with my grandmother, who you can say passed on the horror bug to me. Makes you rest in peace. And, you know, it's a, what an experience because we love horror and we remember that, whether it's the film itself or the feeling that we get from it, that nostalgia feeling of whether it's with a person or the experience at the time. You know, that's why I do this segment. I want to bring these experiences to you and I want to, you know, I help hope that I can, you know, the people really enjoy me giving my best sort of bedtime story voice uh, in reading these out to you. You know, I'm so grateful that I get them sent in and I'm so grateful that I get to read them to you so you can all listen. The other experience that I've got uh, on here, this one is from Peanut Cole, which I'm I 100% probably pronounced wrong, but I'm sure he let me go away with it. Hopefully he will. Um, and he has been a really good supporter of the show. He he hasn't been listening to the show for, you know, for months and months. But that's what makes it, you know, even more special that he's come onto the show. He's, uh, you know, well, come across it and he's just gone, right, I really enjoy this and I want to share it on. And that really, really is special to me. And I really, really appreciate what he's done. Um, to, to share the show on to to other people and uh, what he put was that he remembers a video man uh, that used to come round and you got videos out of the back of his boot for a few quid and he collected them the next week I mean remember those days right my mum and dad got the Terminator when I was at primary school so about seven or eight years old and I'll never forget the intro as the words go across the screen as we had open stairs and I was closest to them on the couch and I just couch and I just kept looking up into the darkness, shitting my pants, waiting for something to come and get me. And, uh, you know, what a traumatizing story that is. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, I, you know, watching the Terminator that young is going to do it to anyone, isn't it? But I absolutely love that because once again, it's sort of like what I'm talking about, isn't it? The the traumatized, traumatizing side of horror that sort of desensitizes us horror fans that now we're older and we look back on those memories where some might look back on that and go, that's when I learned that I don't like horror films. Uh, whereas now we've watched so many over time, we've, as I say, we've desensitized ourselves psychologically 
to look back on those memories fondly rather than shitting ourselves and going, I'm never fucking watching that again. And uh, it's so interesting, the psychological side and the impact of uh, of horror and the trauma that it might, uh, you know, have given us once in our youth is now uh, a positive and so nostalgic that we love, enjoy, you know, we enjoy it. And uh, I really hope that they enjoy sharing these stories with me because I very much enjoy, uh, as I said, reading them and sharing them on with you. And as I said, if you want to get your shout out on a podcast episode, then just hit us up predominantly on Instagram and just send over a message of your first horror experience and I will add it on to a podcast episode. But there we are. We're, we, we've done it. We, we've made it to the end of another episode. You've got everything that we can give you. Me and Chris have given you about Jaws, you know, and I hope that you've enjoyed that and you've just had a little bit, a couple of experiences for your first time. That's pretty much it. You know how these episodes go by now if you've listened. We've got a few big things coming up for the show. Um, I don't want to get into it too much. One thing I can get into is that um, with this being now September, which is obviously when this episode is is released, um, I am doing my first ever convention where I am a guest, um, which I'm very, very excited about. And I'm sure on Instagram and everywhere you'll be here, well, you'll be seeing Uh, more of what's going on with that but this is just an example of how the show has grown uh, and how I'm always trying to evolve the show and promote the show I'm so excited about doing it so if you're local to the south of England Wintercon that's where I'm going to be at uh, and that's on the what the 10th and the 11th of September so it's not far away I, I need to get fucking my shit going but I will be at my local convention uh and see how it goes and if it if i fucking tank it then i'll never do one again but if i absolutely boss it then i might do all of them you never know but uh, i'm very excited about it um so i just wanted to share that with you that it's just as i said it's a good thing uh, for the show and uh, i'm very grateful that i get to do it uh other than that the show itself in october i'm just gonna say that we got something really special um coming for you i can't say much but as you know, and if you can see through, uh, you know, what the episode's done so far, you can tell that I only do one a month. And let's just say in October, I might be bringing you a little bit more than one. I'm not going to say what it is. Some of you might know, um, and I'm not going to say who it's with, but I'm very much looking forward to it. And it's taken a lot of sort of planning um, and a lot of prepping to do because I, you know, doing one episode a month for me is is so much work that I put into it because I genuinely want to bring you the best episodes that I genuinely feel that I can because I am so passionate about the genre, as you know, because I fucking talk about it all the time. And I'm so passionate about whatever topic we, like what I choose or my guest chooses to talk about. Um, you know, I talk about it so honestly and passionately that I want to bring you the best episodes I can, which is why, uh, with the show in regards to podcast, I only bring you one a month, but October, let's just say you might be getting something a little bit special. And, uh, I really hope what we do bring out, you're going to enjoy because I am fucking stoked about it and I can't wait to do it. And then, you know, we head into the rest of the year. October, November, I think November might be a a solo episode going back old school. 
um, where just like the original sort of five or six episodes I did at the start of this show when it first started, everything I did was on my own. Uh, and I think November might be a good time to get back to that. And in December, I already know what's going on. So I'm already trying to plan everything I can for you uh, right and up until the end of the year. And then for next year, who fucking knows? Um, you know, shall I stop? You tell me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I love doing this show. You know, I do. I end the episodes pretty much always the same, just saying how much I love it. And uh, I genuinely do you know, want to continue this. And that's what I want to talk about really quickly about sharing it on. If you've listened to the show before, uh, or you're listening to it now, and you really enjoy it, I really, really would love you to wherever you're listening to it, go and review it, subscribe to it, follow it, or do whatever, but please leave a review. They genuinely genuinely help because it means that other people that just come across it can see you know whether you enjoy the show or not i don't know what review you'll leave and hopefully it's a good one but if it's a good one it means that other people might just click that button to play and then they might do the same and it you know it ends on this whole butterfly effect sort of thing uh where the show evolves and grows and that's exactly what i want from it i can only play so much of a part and promote so much so much of it is down to you so if you love the show please go and rate it go and subscribe go and follow and please leave a review because it genuinely does help like me and chris said, uh, said earlier it really does help I love doing this. I love all of you amazing listeners. If you've been listening for a long time, thank you so much. You know you mean so much to me to be able to keep this going. And if you're new, welcome and keep sticking with us. Keep sticking with me on this in this journey through horror. That's all I can ask. Stay creepy. Mm-hmm.